Peter's this guy that's kind of all in. He's doing great. He's following Jesus. And then he just completely blows it. He just completely fails. He betrays Jesus multiple times. He cowers in fear. There's a little servant girl that, that says, do you know Jesus? When Je so Jesus has been arrested, right? He's been arrested and they're, and they're trying him. And he, he's kind of out by this campfire. And a little servant girl comes up to him and says, hey, do you know Jesus? And he goes, no, I don't know him. And then another guy comes up to him. Do you know Jesus? And then it says he has some sort of expletive in there. We don't know what it is. But he says, I don't blankety blank, blank, blank know Jesus. And then a third time somebody comes up to him. No, we know that you know Jesus. And he says, no, I've never seen the guy. I don't know him at all. This is his best friend, Jesus. And he just completely blows it when Jesus is in one of his greatest moments of need and Peter turns his back on him right after saying I will go with you to the end I'll die with you and then he just says I don't even know him he gets scared he cowers he betrays him he denies him so Peter's a guy things were going good things were going great and then things went really bad and I think if we're honest many of us can relate to that at some level that maybe we uh, started out and we became a Christian and things are going great and we're excited about Jesus and then we kind of drift away. Things are going good and then they just start to go bad. We mess up, we fail and maybe that keeps happening or, or maybe you are in love and you're dating and stuff's going great and then you get married and then it's kind of like, man, it's just, I'm just not doing a good job anymore. What happened? Things were going great and then things just start to go down or I mean all, all sorts of different things it can be big things I mean people that for years and years of their life they've been you know good friends or good fathers or or good wives or good co good workers or whatever it is things are going well and then they just kind of get off track just fail something big I mean I, I know I've known many people that in their life they have a moment that whether that's adultery or some sort of theft or something that just it's just kind of over or maybe it's just some of the daily things that stuff's going well, and then, man, during the day, you just do something, and it's just kind of like, dang it, this day sucks now. I've just kind of blown it. I've just, you know, I, I told a lie at the beginning of the day, and now I'm carrying this guilt with me, or I yelled at my spouse, and, and now I'm just kind of, man, this day just sucks. I've just blown it. And so whatever it is, whether it's something big that throws us way off track or just some of those daily things that we go, man, I just, you know, I, I've talked with people that's like, I just, I just read the Bible and then I interact with someone and I cuss them out, you know. It's like, what happened, you know? Things are going well and then it's just totally off track. Talk to many people that right after this, and I hope this doesn't happen, you get in a fight, you know, with your spouse on the way home. You're like, what happened? I was singing songs, I was, and then... Just, man, what, what's going on? What happens? I love this story because this is Jesus interacting one-on-one -on -one with a guy that was doing great and then blew it. A guy that was doing great and then just totally failed. This is a story that doesn't tell us how to live. It doesn't tell us what to do to live a great, successful life. It tells us what to do when we don't. It shows us what happens when we let Jesus down. It shows us what happens when we totally blow it. So maybe you're like, well, I don't need that story. But for me, I love this story. I love it because we, we don't just need to hear, what does it look like, how to live, how to follow Jesus? We need to hear what happens when we absolutely don't. 
What happens then? And I love this because this is Peter and Jesus getting some one-on-one time. So John chapter 21, here we go, says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. So they're all kind of together and they're, and they're fishing. And Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So some of you have been there, right? <laughs> and just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. So these guys are out in the boat. They've been fishing all night. And Jesus is standing on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. (laughs) He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Which I'm sure after fishing all night, they're like, oh, that's all? You know, just cast it on the right side, huh? So they cast it. They listen, you know, kind of whatever. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this is talking about John, the guy that wrote this book, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. Because that's an incident like this had actually happened earlier. And like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He's naked fishing, literally. It's the only way to fish, apparently, back then. Maybe, I don't fish, but if so. And then threw himself into the sea. But I love this too. He's naked fishing and then says he put on his clothes and jumps into the water. Because when Jesus shows up, you don't want to be naked, right? So he's like, it's the Lord. Uh, Okay, I'm putting on my clothes and jumping in the water. The other disciple, see, he's extreme, right? Like, hey, you got to wade in the water and wear shorts. No, no shorts. So the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Jesus is here and he's cooking breakfast for them. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so now Peter's belly's full. Jesus goes, now's the time to talk to him. They go on a little walk. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. That's a reference to, to ministry, saying love people, serve people, pastor people. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, when, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Crucifixion. And history tells us that Peter was crucified. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, just kind of his nickname, this is John, the guy writing this, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So Jesus tells him he's going to die. And then he goes, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So this is a story about Peter in his failure and Jesus coming to him. So what does Jesus do when we have failed? This is a great story to think about. Well, wherever you are, maybe today you go, this is real. This is where I've been. Or maybe it's in life. Or maybe there's some big moment in your past or something. Or maybe it's coming up. But, but what does Jesus do when we have failed? And, and here's what often happens. Here's how we often respond. Before, before we look at what Jesus does when we have failed, here's how we often respond. Oftentimes when we have failed, there's different ways that we, we can handle it. But oftentimes, one of the ways is we just kind of give up. So maybe you do something and you, and you say, you know what? It's just, why even try anymore? Why, why even try? You know, many people at the beginning of the year, they make you know, New Year's resolutions to some extent, whatever that might be. And sometimes for Christians, there's some spiritual component to that. So maybe I'm going to read my Bible or I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And then you get like to numbers and you're like, oh, never mind. I'm going to read a couple verses through the year, you know. And, but what happens often is you set out some goal or set out some thing or set out. And then if you fail, just go forget it. Like, what's the use? Why, why even try? Why, why even keep going? I'm, and maybe you feel like, why keep going? Because I'm actually a fraud. You know, maybe you've thought, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus like Peter did. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to go all in, and here we go. And then you just go back to the, the different ways of life that you've lived in before, back to some sin and back to some old ways of life. And then you just go, man, I'm just a fraud. Why, why keep trying? Why keep going? Many people feel like that when they have failed. Or, or some people feel like, not that they're just going to give up, but, but maybe I'm going to pay Jesus back. So man, I blew it. I, I've been, you know, that the, I, I tried to say, I'm going to follow Jesus and, and I'm going to be a servant. Jesus wants me to serve people. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to really love people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really care for people. And then man, months go by and you're just lazy and you're just selfish and you go, okay, I got to 
I gotta work this out. I got Jesus, I know I've messed up, I know I've failed, but I'm gonna make it up. I'm gonna make it up to you. I'm gonna pay you back. I'm gonna do some sort of penance, whatever that might be. Maybe you're you start just volunteering everywhere and taking everybody to the airport and moving everybody and taking everybody's, you know, cleanup shift and just doing whatever you can. You're just like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay you back, Jesus. I've been selfish, I've done something wrong, and, and I'll, I'll take care of it. I can pay you back in some way. I can make amends, I can, I can fix it. And a lot of times there's kind of strong declarations of what we will do in that. Jesus, I will never mess up again. I will never look at porn again. I will never lie again. I will never be lazy again. I will never speak a bad word against my friend again. I will not gossip anymore, it's not gonna happen. We make these declarations. I will make it up to you. Or sometimes what happens is we just wait. So we might give up or we might try to pay Jesus back in some way or we might just wait. So you fail in some way. And then kind of just feel like, man, I just need some time. I just need some space before I read the Bible again or before I come to church again or before I even... Sometimes people pull away from community because they feel like, man, I just, I need some space. And there's different reasons for that. It might be because we feel dirty and we don't feel like we can be near God. Or it may, maybe it's because we feel like, man, God needs to cool off a little bit. So I'm just going to give him some time and him some space. Just kind of need to wait things out. And sometimes this gets expressed by just saying, like, you know what? There's always tomorrow. Okay, I messed it up today, but... Maybe I'm not going to give up. Maybe I'm not going to pay him back. But there's, there's always tomorrow. There's always next year. There's always next week. And just kind of wait it out. And we might disconnect from people. We might disconnect from God. I mean, I know many people that have done something and failure and goes by a few weeks because they don't even want to talk to God. They just feel like, man, he needs some space. Just, I need some space. He needs some space. Just going to kind of wait it out and time will, time will heal things. Time will make things good. But what does Jesus do when we have failed? Jesus doesn't expect Peter to pay it back. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, we need some time, dude. We need some time. And he, and he doesn't want Peter to just give up either. So what does Jesus do when we failed? Well, first is this. He comes to Peter. You see that? In this story, he comes to him. He doesn't even wait for Peter to come to him. He shows up on the beach he shows up ready, and he orchestrates this whole event because he wants to talk with Peter. Peter's denied him three times, and that hasn't been dealt with yet. It hasn't been fixed. There hasn't been this reconciliation between him and Jesus yet, and Jesus doesn't wait for Peter. Jesus shows up and goes, I'm going to come to Peter. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to approach him. I'm going to talk with him. And see, what does Jesus do when we have failed? Jesus comes to us, and he wants reconciliation with us. Jesus pursues us. A lot of times we think, once I get good in some way, then I'll go back to Jesus and we can work things out. But that's not what happened. Before Peter has had a good week, before Peter's gotten back on track, before Peter can say, look, look, Jesus, okay, you know, I know I messed up back then, but look, I've got a little bit of a track record now of doing good. 
before that can happen, Jesus comes to him. Before Peter can make up for it at all, Jesus comes to him. That's, that's the first thing Jesus does when we have failed. He comes to us. How many times is that the opposite of how we operate, right? Where we go, man, this person messed up, so when they come to me, then we can set things right. When they come to me, preferably on their knees, then we can set things right. But Jesus goes, I'm coming to you, Peter. I'm coming to you. And then what does he do? He asks him questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He asks him questions about his heart. And see, what does Jesus do when we failed? First, he comes to us, and then he asks us questions about our heart. He asks him about his love. He asks him about his affection. He asks him about what's going on inside of him. You know why? Because Peter is someone that Jesus loves, and Jesus wants Peter's heart. He doesn't just come to Peter and go, so dude, what was going on that night? Three times? Like maybe once I get it. But a little girl? I mean, that's not what he does. He comes to him and he doesn't say, man, look, we got some, I, we got to, man, I need to, you got to fess up to some things. He comes to him and he asks him some questions about his heart. Because what Jesus wants is Peter's heart. I mean, that's good news. Like if you have failed again and again and again, or if you failed today or this week, or and, and I'm not naive. I know a lot of people come to church because they have failed and they're looking for something. And it might be you're looking to pay Jesus back. You're looking to pay God back. God, I'll, I promise I'll start going to church. But here's the cool thing. Jesus actually comes to you, comes to us, and then he starts to ask us questions about our heart. And he starts to ask questions about what we love and if we love him, because what Jesus wants is not just some external obedience. What Jesus wants is not just for Peter to fess up and own up and make a commitment and make, what Jesus wants is Peter's heart. So he starts asking him questions about that. He comes to him and he wants Peter's heart. And he asks him about what he loves because what we love is where it goes wrong, and what we love is what set it, sets it right. You know, what happened with Peter when he betrayed Jesus? What happened with Peter when he cowered in fear? Something happened in his heart, and Jesus wants his heart back. Jesus doesn't want him to just get back on track. He wants his heart back. And you got to know that when you've failed or if you're in the middle or feel like you're in the middle of failure. What Jesus does is he comes to you and he goes, I want your heart. And that's good news. It's good news that he does that even before things get back on track. Jesus says, I want your heart back. So what does Jesus do when he failed? This is what he does. He comes to Peter and says, I want to restore what's been broken. But how are we actually restored? This is Jesus' approach to us when we fail. He comes and says, I want to restore this relationship. I want to restore what's been broken. But how are we restored? What's that process look like? And there's, there's more that, that could be said about this. But in this one scene, in this, in this one instance where there's this one-on-one -on -one interaction, put yourself 
in this story of Jesus coming to you and asking questions about your heart because he wants your heart. And then what actually happens? How are we restored? The first thing is this. We have to open up those painful parts of our life. We have to open up those places where there has been sin, failure, and mistakes, and brokenness, and wounds. Got to open it up. It's not a coincidence that Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's not a coincidence because Peter denied Jesus three times. It's also not a coincidence, interestingly enough, that it talks about, I think John is just trying to help us clue into what would emotionally be happening with Peter. The only, it, John says that, and he, he, takes, you know, he, takes, uh, he takes just attention to detail to say Jesus is cooking a charcoal fire. Didn't use gas for those you know, purists out there. Jesus used charcoal, so you got a verse now. Jesus used charcoal fire, and the only other time that, that it mentions that in the Bible is Peter denying Jesus around a charcoal fire. So John is trying to clue us in, I think, here to say, think about what's emotionally happening with Peter, even, around this charcoal fire again, smells, and just all, and, and then Jesus asking him three times, and Peter knowing he denied Jesus three times, and here's the deal, it says Peter was Grieved, it was painful for Peter when Jesus asked him a third time. It's because Jesus comes to him and says, Hey, do you love me? And, and Peter said, Yes. And then Jesus goes, Sweet, let, we're good, dude. Then maybe Peter is like, Okay, this is all right. But Jesus digs and, and Peter starts to feel pain, starts to remember, he starts to feel, Man, I've blown it. I've really blown it. I've really messed up. And Jesus is opening up wounds. Jesus is getting in there, and it's painful. You see, how are we restored? The first thing is this. We have to let Jesus into those pain, the most painful places. So many times what happens is there's some failure or some sin or something in our life, and we try to just get past it, and Jesus would want to come to us and go, hey, I love you. I'm here with you. I'm for you. I want your heart. I'm not waiting for a good week, but we got to get back to this. And we got to talk about this because this is where you most need grace. And this is where you most need healing. And this is where you most need forgiveness. And this is where you most need the restoration that I'm coming to bring you. Because if we say, Jesus, I'm I want to just meet you here. Let's just let bygones be bygones, water under the bridge. Then we'll never actually experience the forgiveness and healing and and restoration where we most deeply need it. And so when Jesus comes to Peter, he digs. And it's painful because he's cutting deeper and deeper and deeper. And so many times what happens is we come to Jesus and maybe let him go a little bit. And some of you, you know this, you've come to Jesus and you've, you've let him start to open up something, but then right when it starts to feel painful is when we go, okay, I'm done, let's, let's talk about something else. But it's right there in that moment that we need to, okay, go all the way, 
Otherwise, what happens is it lingers. It stays there. It's ne- we never actually experience grace. And what would have happened with Peter? I mean, maybe some of you can really imagine, but, but what would have happened with Peter if he talked to Jesus and Jesus said, hey, man, I love you. And Peter said, thanks, dude, that's great. And then they just went on. And Peter never actually, man, he would have lived with that moment in his life of betrayal and of cowardice. I can tell you, I can promise you, for a long, long, long time. Because it would just linger there if it's never dealt with. And Jesus cuts into Peter and it says it's painful. And some of you know that. But what Jesus wants, if if we want to experience the restoration with Jesus and the forgiveness and the not having to prove ourselves or make amends, or if we want that, we have to let Jesus go into that place that is the place that we're most embarrassed by, most shamed by, most guilty over, most experiencing just, I can't believe I did that. We have to let Jesus go there. Whether that was yesterday or five years ago. Because until that happens, until that painful process of letting Jesus in happens, you can't really emotionally experience, I've got grace in the deepest part of my sin. I've got healing in the deepest wounds. I've got restoration in the deepest brokenness. And that's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want to just make you feel okay in the moment. He wants to go in and cut out what's most affecting us. So how are we restored? We got to open up our pain. And then what Jesus does is he, he stirs Peter's heart back towards him. You know, it's interesting that Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And why does he do that? Part of it is to kind of remind Peter of that failure and to match it up with the restoration. One betrayal, one restoration. One betrayal, one... But but, but think about this. If if I'm to talk to you and I I say, let's say you steal something from me, and then I say, hey, are you going to steal from me again? You go, no. And I go, look, I've really got to make sure. Are you going to steal from me again? I, I would be doing that because I don't really know, right? I'm not sure, and I want some guarantees. But that's not Jesus. Jesus knows everything. Peter even, he, he sees that. He's like, dude, you know everything. He didn't say dude. He said, Jesus, you know everything. He said, Lord, you know everything. Dude, Lord, you know everything. Right? He says, so why do you keep asking me this? And So Jesus isn't trying to get assurance because Jesus knows. He sees into Peter's heart. Jesus isn't trying to really make sure because Jesus knows everything. So why does he keep asking him? Well, Jesus knows everything, but Peter doesn't. And he's asking him to restir those affections for him. Say, do you love me? And when Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus is stirring back up that love. And letting Peter know he, he wants that there. He wants him to experience the love for him. And, and kind of implied in that is his love for Peter. And he's stirring back up that love saying, do you love me? Do you remember that you love me? Do you love, do you remember? He's stirring it back up. 
And see, for us to be restored, we have to open up our pain. But we also have to let Jesus stir back up that love for him. We have to see the personal connection that Jesus is wanting for us. You know, sometimes even, sometimes even in our sin, what most in our failures and in our sins, what most grieves us is that we let ourselves down. What most grieves us is I can't believe I did this. I thought I wasn't like this. I can't believe I, not actually that we've sinned against a person, Jesus. So when we sin, are we, are we most grieved that we let ourselves down? That we're not who we thought we were? That we're not as committed as we thought? Or is it that, man, I hurt my friend, Jesus? And so Jesus is trying to say, look, this is about me and you. It's not just about you and some moral failure. It's about me and you. And I want once again for you to know the love that you have for me and the love I have for you. So how, how are we restored when we have failed? We have to let Jesus open up our pain. And we've got to open up our pain and let him in. We've got to let him stir up once again the love that we have for him and that he has for us. Here's what this means practically for us. It means, first of all, you got to bring to Jesus whatever it is. Maybe it's something today and you just wanted to move past it. Maybe something last week and you just kind of want to go past it. And maybe it's something that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 26 years ago. You got to bring that to Jesus. You got to bring it to Him. You got to bring it to Him and say, I want to receive restoration. I want to receive forgiveness and healing and change. And I've tried to cover this up and I've tried to bury it and I've tried to just move on and I've tried to just do better, but I need to bring this to you. That, that's what it first means, just like Peter. It also means we need to process this with other people. We can't even just do this alone. Part of that is because we need to hear the word of God spoken from other people to assure us of who Jesus is because we don't have the, the physical presence of Jesus in the room like Peter did. Jesus didn't make breakfast for you this morning. I don't think. If he did, next time invite me over. Although I don't, fish for breakfast is kind of weird, but invite me over if it's something else. Well, I guess I'll come if it's Jesus. But we don't have the physical presence, right? And so part of this means we got to open up the pain, the past. And look, I know, I know I've, I've just done this for a while. There's stuff in, in, in some, of, some of our past. That, man, it's just buried. Nobody knows about it. And you haven't really even brought it out with Jesus. And Jesus wants to say, Open it up and bring it to me. And he would assure us that there's going to be some healing and forgiveness and restoration that we couldn't even imagine. And we got to process it with other people because we don't have the physical presence of Jesus. And it's interesting, too, just thinking about how it's important to process it with other people. John is the one writing the book. Peter denied Jesus by himself. In private. You know what that means? 
talked to John about it. He said, Johnny, come here, boy. He said, I want to talk to you. Something happened. And then he probably excitedly told him, but then Jesus came to me three times, and it was around the fire, and the smoke was in my nose, and I remembered that night, and then I had this, and he processed it with John. It doesn't say that, but obviously something happened that John knew it. But I do know this, we can't just talk with Jesus about these things. We gotta have other people in our life to process with us because we don't have the physical presence of Jesus and that's part of what the community is. It's to be able to do what Jesus did for Peter. We need that. What happens? What happens when we experience this restoration? When we fail, Jesus comes to us. When we fail, Jesus starts to say, I want your heart, and asks us questions about our love and what's really going on, because he wants us, not just for us to get on with it. And we actually experience that restoration through opening up the pain and through letting him once again stir our hearts. And then what happens when we experience restoration? See, this is, this is beautiful because Jesus doesn't just forgive Peter. As important as that is, right? And to experience forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration, man, that's amazing, but that's not all that Jesus does. He doesn't just forgive him. He calls him back again and says, I'm, I, there, I got more for you. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, tend my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. I mean, he, he says, you're not done. Jesus pulls a, a Ryan Gosling and says, it's not over. It was never over. And Peter goes, I'm a bird, okay? Some of you need to watch the notebook. <laughs> so Jesus comes to him and he says, it's not over, right? That's what Jesus does. It's amazing. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is going on? I don't know, but it's happening. What happens? Jesus says, it's not done. Because he easily, I mean, look, this easily could have happened. He could have said, Peter, look, I forgive you. But it's done, dude. Right? Could have done that. Could have said, I, I forgive you, but you're out now, man. You're out. I, I mean, maybe you've got friends like this, and they say, I forgive you, but look, you, you're not invited anymore. I forgive you, but you, you really can't have anything significant happen in your life anymore because you are tainted. There's the scar on you now. Every time we see you, we're going to remember, there goes Peter, the dude that was afraid of the little girl. That's not what he says. He says, I forgive you, and I've got more for you. See, he's giving him back dignity. He's giving him back an invitation. He even says once again to him, follow me, which is what he said to Peter at the very beginning of their relationship. Follow me. He's saying, it's not done, dude. I forgive you, but I'm also not done with you. And I think that's amazing because forgiveness is beautiful, and we need that. But Jesus also says to Peter, I'm not done with you. You're not just marked by this now. Look, that's true if there's something in your past, but it's also true today. When we've got those sins and, and, and we, we maybe even come to Jesus and we know that he forgives us, but then we're like, yeah, but you know, the rest of the day I just need to wallow in this. And Jesus goes, no, I forgive you and I'm not done with you. I forgive you and I, and I actually have a mission for you still. I forgive you, and I want you to be really involved 
and feed my... I, I mean, he, he's entrusting to Peter to feed his sheep and take care of his lambs. What happens when we experience this restoration? Jesus doesn't hold it over our heads. See, sometimes we go, okay, I know he forgives me, but I also know he's kind of just up there, just waiting for me to mess it up. He's just waiting. He's kind of got it in the back, like this picture, like remember when you messed up? Ooh, are you about to do that again? Oh, that, rem that reminds me. And, we kind of, and so we're always kind of unsure of how he feels about us, always kind of feel like we got to be on a, our toes to prove. It's not what's going on here. Jesus says, I forgive you. I call you again. I'm not holding it over your head. I want more for you. I'm not done with you. Jesus isn't done with you, any of us. No matter what's happened, he's not done with you. Jesus doesn't want Peter to just be self-consumed and just kind of wallow and go, man, I really, I, I blew it. He wants him to actually use what happened to him for the sake of others. You see, some of our deepest areas of love and serving others, some of our deepest ministry to others will come out of our deepest failures that have been healed and restored. What do you think Peter did in the future to those that blew it and failed? And if this experience was fresh with Peter, you know what he's going to do? He's gonna, and, he, and what he did, and he writes two letters in the New Testament. You can read them. Man, he talks about grace because he, he experienced it. See, some of those deepest areas over here of failure and sin, whether that's in the past or it was yesterday or today, those deepest areas of failure or their surface-level areas of failure, when we experience forgiveness and we let him in, those become the times that we go, man, now I can... I can love other people out of that because I've experienced grace and I want to give it. And Peter got this about Jesus. And you know what? This wasn't the last time Peter messed up. There's other instances recorded where Peter messes up again. And in fact, 10 seconds later, he messes up. In this book, he's, Jesus is like, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Awesome. We're restored. And then he goes, okay, what about this guy? Does he have to die too? I mean, think about that. It's like Jesus is, I mean, and Jesus doesn't go, oh my gosh, forget it, you know? He gives him grace again. He just gives him, he goes, hey, doesn't matter about him. It just matters about you, you and me right now. I mean, just, but if the experience of grace is real, if he's actually experienced that from Jesus, man, he's gonna, in his life, be able to help others get that grace, and that's what he went on to do. That's what he went on to do. When we press into those areas of our failure and experience Jesus' restoration and forgiveness, the grace of God becomes real to us and we're able to help others see it. Not once of like, yeah, that one bad time that I you know, received forgiveness and now I've gone on with my life. But no, you go, nope, it's a, I received forgiveness here. I received healing here. I received restoration here. And you, it's just a lifestyle thing. And it was for Peter. When it becomes real to you, you're able to help others experience it. Because Jesus isn't done with you. He's not done with any of us. No matter what happened, 
And what Peter did is pretty bad. Jesus wasn't done with him. Finally, is this, why can we be restored? At the end of John's book, he's got this hyperbolic, exaggerated line here. Maybe it's true, but it sounds like poetry. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, why can we be restored? You know why? What did John include in this book? If there's so many things, if there's so many things that Jesus did that the whole world couldn't contain the books, what does John give us? What does he focus on? You know what he focuses on? Why Jesus came. And the reason that Jesus came and what John even said at the beginning of the book is this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that's a reference to when sacrifices would be done and metaphorically the sins of people would be put on a lamb and the lamb would be killed. Jesus says, I took your sin, Peter, of betrayal. I took your sin of cowardice. I took your sin of self-righteousness and always saying, you're the one. And, and then in this moment of failure shows really what's going on in your heart. I take that on me. And it's gone now because I died for it. Yeah, Peter, you should die. Some of us feel that. I'm not worth it, Jesus. You shouldn't forgive me, Jesus. And Jesus goes, that's right. But I take it on myself. I deal with it. This is why we can be restored, because the sin itself is not just, hey, forget about it. It's dealt with. John says there's so many things that Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the books. But let me tell you the most important stuff about him. The reason he came into this world was to make a way for the sin and the guilt and the shame to be done away with, to bring us back to him. You see, sometimes we wonder, how, how can Jesus forgive me? I don't deserve his forgiveness. I can't even forgive myself. And Jesus says, that's right. You don't deserve it. But I dealt with it. It's gone. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. His body broken, his blood shed, not just as some symbol to have on a window, but to make a way for us to be restored to him, to deal with it. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. And so now you can be restored. And now there's more for you. Let's pray. Let's sing. Father, thank you that you gave to us Jesus. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this book that helps us to see Jesus. To helps us to see helps us to see who he is. God, thank you for showing us what you're like. And, and I just know, God, right now in this room, there's people that have got failures that they're thinking about. And I pray that you would make the truth that we talked about real. I pray that even as we take communion and the tangible feeling of bread and wine in our hands and in our mouths would remind us that you tangibly, physically did something to deal with what has separated us from you. God, I thank you for that. Thank you that you don't just forgive us, but you're not done with us either. And I pray that you would really just make it clear as we sing, Lord, make the truth even more real to our hearts. And I pray even this week 
would bring to you whatever it is that we need to bring to you, that you would give us the courage to do that, you would give us the, the confidence and the trust in you to do that, and you would help us to process with each other, somebody, 